You know, I've come to learn that really how much you suffer when you're going through something challenging in life is an equation of how much pain there is. And the pain is locked and loaded, right? That's fixed. Getting a cancer diagnosis, losing someone you love, a divorce, these are all really painful, hard things. But actually it's the pain times by the resistance that you give to that thing. My name is Emily Chadbourne and welcome to Behind the Change, a podcast to inspire hope. Because let's be honest, sometimes it feels like the whole world has gone to shit. But here at Behind the Change, we speak to amazing humans who are doing really great things to make this world a better place. We find out what drives their leadership, what beliefs hold them firm in turbulent times and what it really takes to grow their businesses and organisations to create even more impact. If you'd like to support our guests and little old me, then please share the episodes that you love. Rate and review because it really does help more people find us. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I live and work on and that this podcast was recorded on, the Boonarong people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to elders both past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to season two, episode one of Behind the Change. And today, do I have a gem of a human being for you. Today, I sit down to speak to Bryony Benjamin. Bryony is a keynote speaker, an author, a storyteller, whose viral videos have been viewed more than two million times. That's two million sets of eyeballs. Her own story went global after she documented her journey from cancer diagnosis to recovery in the video, You Only Get One Life. This led to a book called Life is Tough, But So Are You, and a passionate drive to help individuals face the toughest time of their lives with more ease and less fear. She also works with some of Australia's boldest leaders to help them craft their personal stories in compelling ways that move hearts and minds with the view to making the world a better, kinder and much more fun place. Enjoy the episode. So we'll just jump right on in if that's okay. Right, perfect. Like really the idea, I'm all about conversational, like happy to go off on any tangent. So like that that's I, I just trust the process yeah great um but really what we're sort of I guess uh, the intention for the podcast is really like how do we do what do we do with change um and I think one of the things I'd love to draw out of our conversation is obviously for you the change came in a way that you didn't want it to and actually that's quite common for a lot of people whether it be illness or death or divorce or you know quite often like the universe just sort of slaps us around the face so like what do we do with that? Um, and I'd love to touch as well, touch on about um, how you help people who are in the space of change. So again, looking at sort of the Climate 200 and, and the work that you've done with your independence there. So are we Yeah, good? yeah, amazing. Yeah, no, that's all good, yeah. Okay. I mean, and, and so I've been working with the independence this last year, but pr- like I've spent the last 10 years working in the purpose-led space really so doing content for change I call it um so yeah like the independence movement is one part of it but it's also been uh, I mean a lot of environmental I mean I've worked with everyone from like the climate council world wildlife fund doing documentary content it's always been my passion is how do we bring people along um, on the issues that are the most complex big overwhelming but using humor joy and content to do that uh, and entertainment you know no one wants to be bashed over the head with an important message so uh, people are just fatigued of it so uh yeah like the independence is one component of it uh which I'm very passionate about but yeah it's been a it's it's sort of much broader than just that I, I just say that because because that's obviously quite political even though independents yeah. are as neutral as you can get when it comes to politics I feel uh but yeah yeah beautiful okay fab oh yes okay excellent great (laughs) so bryony thank you so very much for speaking with me today really appreciate appreciate your time and i know you're a busy woman um i would love to kind of start at what i would consider to be the beginning you might not consider this to be the beginning um but i would love for us to start with the cancer story 
you were working as an executive producer for Mamma Mia, is that right? I was, yes. And so yes. just for any of uh, anyone who's outside of Australia who might not know who Mamma Mia are, Mamma Mia is Australia's, Australia's leading female women's outlet for media. Um, so quite a prominent position, I would imagine, quite a busy position. I would very creative, lots of fun, lots of uh, feminism. I, I would imagine it would a really buzzy place to work. It was. It was fantastic. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be so perfect. I'm going to start this job just as Hillary is going to become the first female president <laughs> of America. And it was literally my first week. And I was in the newsroom and I remember just that sinking feeling that so many of us that care about, you know, climate action and progress and the good things, it was just, and and sitting there and, and thinking, oh, we've only prepared content, like I think every newsroom around the world had, for the scenario of Hillary winning. I had a video prepared of like women and girls all over the world. Uh, and so I just wanted to cry and, and go under the desk and had to go, oh, okay, this is what you do when you work in this kind of media environment. You have to keep going and, you know, get the content out. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I worked there. Uh, I'd been there about a year when I just, um, I mean, I was just feeling awful the whole time I worked there, to be honest. Mm. And um, doctors kept telling me that it was my job, that I was stressed and it was, you know, I needed to learn to meditate, chill out, <laughs> rest more. And I just uh, really thought, well, this is the least stressful job I've ever had, really. You know, working in production can be quite intense and I'd had some very difficult bosses in the past and this was a, a wonderful environment to work in largely all women lots of working mums who you know were very efficient with their time and were you know out the door at five people didn't send emails after hours really it was a really wonderful work-life balance i thought and so it didn't really make sense to me but my medical professionals were telling me you know that i was fine and so yeah it was about 18 months into that job when my parents, who had just been on my case uh, and were very concerned about just, I think, my outlook, my my approach to life had really changed because when you're feeling rotten all the time, uh, you know, you don't stop, you stop looking forward to things, you know. They could just tell that my sunny personality had been kind of dimmed and they were, you know, concerned. And, and I think a lot of people that have got an ongoing uh, chronic or medical issue for a long time, you do start to think, you know, oh, am I depressed? Is it is it something else? But I, I sort of knew it wasn't. It just, I just didn't feel right. Mm. And so, yeah, mum and dad insisted actually uh, that I went and saw a specialist, um, a, blood a blood specialist. And when she took a closer look at my bloods, took a whole bunch of tests and said, you know, come back in a week and we'll go through the results. And so I thought, well, surely if the news was bad, <laughs> They would call you Maybe and let you I'm know straight away. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just thought it would be another dead end. Yeah, you've got a virus. Take mm. some antibiotics or whatever. And so, yeah, it was one morning uh, at Mamma Mia where I we had Sophie Monk coming in who'd just been on The Bachelorette and, you know, a big exclusive interview with her. I was prepping for that. And I went in to get my test results on the way. Mum insisted on coming with me even though I was like, Mum, I've got to rush straight to work. I'm so busy. Um and yeah, sat down and, and that was that sort of world changing conversation where the doctor said to me, yeah, so it's cancer. Uh, you know, we need to just immediately clear the next six months and start you on a course of treatment straight away. And I didn't really know what lymphoma meant at that point or how serious this was. You know, was this just kind of a bug or something that could be treated quite simply. And so I remember just asking, am I going to lose my hair? And she said, yeah, you will, but it will grow back. And that was sort of, yeah, just one of those surreal moments of life that you just never think are going to happen to you, particularly when you're 31. That was actually going to be my next question. How old were you? 31? Yeah, 30, 31. And, and I guess you just like landed your dream job. Yeah, How like you know, had this, had just finally felt like I'd really like, you know, gotten into a social crew in Sydney and my life was just starting to take off and, and everything was sort of lining up. And, you know, it's funny, I re-listened the other day to Baz Luhrmann's Sunscreen song. Do you mm. remember that? Have you ever, I haven't listened to it in years and I just saw it trending on TikTok actually, um, a, a segment of it. And the, the line stuck out to me about that, you know, worry 
or know that worrying, like don't worry or worry, but know that worrying is as useful as trying to solve algebra by chewing bubble gum. The things that are really going to, you know, blindside you are the things that never even crossed your mind. And yeah, it really struck me the other day when I was listening to that. Never in a million years would I have thought cancer would enter my world. And I think that's probably the same for anyone that is faced with it or, or their family or, you know, a loved one is faced with it. It's just those unexpected curveballs of life that you, yeah. Yeah, you know, take, you know it happens. the wind out of you. And you know it happens to a lot of people, but you just never think it will really happen to you. Yeah, and when you're young, I think you think you're sort of invincible too, don't you? Uh, you know, they say that getting young people to do any kind of preventative health care is basically impossible because mm. we all think, oh, we're young, we're, we're fine, we've got the, our whole lives ahead. And so I think, yeah, definitely a much, much deeper respect for my body and just my, my overall well-being has been a, a big, big takeaway from the whole experience of getting a cancer diagnosis. I watched the video, like millions of other people did, that you uh, recorded and produced, You Only Get to Live Once. And that video basically went viral, right? That It kind of um, catapulted you into a public eye space. And the thing that I just, I mean, I wept the whole way through. Um, but in a weird way, like not in a, this is so terrible and tragic way, although of course it's tragic, but in this like, oh God, how, how inspiring. Like it's such an inspirational story. And I think the thing that, that comes across is this sense of like a conscious choice to, to do what you can possibly do with the cards that you have been dealt. Would you think that that was a, an actual choice that you made somewhere in those early days of your diagnosis? Have you always just been a very optimistic person or is that something you had to kind of work hard at? Yes, well, I would definitely say I've always been a sunny, positive, optimistic type of human. And in some ways, I think that almost worked to my detriment in the early days, interestingly. So, you know, I think it was initially this idea of I'm going to be so positive, I'm going to find all the fun in this and the joy, and I am going to be the most positive cancer patient that's ever existed. I'm going to get an A triple plus in this, you know. Let me pass uh, the test of cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me get an A type personality. And then, uh, you know, I went and saw a psychologist in that first week. And, and yeah, she did drop a bit of a bombshell on me when she just said, you know, I just want to let you know that you can hate every single step of this if you like. You don't have to look for any silver linings here. And I thought, oh, geez, well, that's a bit heavy. But what it did was release that pressure valve to have to be, you know, not only just dealing with what you're dealing with and going through it, but she allowed me to understand that it was actually okay to sit with my feelings and to feel how I was feeling. And, you know, I've come to learn that really how much you suffer when you're going through something challenging in life is an equation of um, how much pain there is and the pain is locked and loaded, right? That's fixed. Getting a cancer diagnosis, losing someone you love, a divorce, these are all really painful, hard things. But actually it's the pain times by the resistance that you give to that thing. And that that equals how much you suffer. And that resistance can be, everything's fine, I'm great, like da-da-da-da, that's resistance as well as, you know, really sitting heavily in that thing and, oh, my gosh, and I'm going to make this as hard as possible for myself. So, and I think there's so much in life now, it's always a balance, isn't it? It's how do you, oh, you know, and, and actually at Purpose Conference I was at last week, someone said this beautiful line, Matt Vickers, who was doing the final closing speech about his journey through chronic illness and chronic fatigue and he said how can you hold on to heavy things lightly and I thought that was such a beautiful and helpful phrase be it you know thinking about big overwhelming issues in the world like climate change and ocean acidification and you know world wars these are heavy difficult things um, but there's a lot of parallels I think between that health crisis on a more micro scale and those bigger issues on a, on a macro scale, how can you reduce that resistance so that you can enjoy your life, live in the day-to-day, -day, not be totally burdened by the weight of the world and the weight of the, the enormity of the things that you're facing? Mm. Yeah, but I just love that. I've thought about that a lot since, holding on to 
heavy things lightly. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, uh, interview over. That's what I came for. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. I think um, I speak to my clients about this all the time, which is that, uh, and I think to an extent, the rise of social media and the subsequent rise of wellness and often white wellness that has come about as a result of that which kind of promises that you know it's the hashtag prom, uh, positive vibes only kind of um, mentality and I think it's whilst I see the positive intention in it it's actually really dangerous because the reality of the situation is like life is hard and it is it has problem intrinsically built into it and honestly if you're doing life right you're probably going to come up against a whole heap of challenges and how we either resist or attach to the things that happen to us good bad and everything in between will like like you say dictate the level of suffering that you experience I mean I guess that's like the fundamentalism of of what Buddhism is all about right which is you know to suffer is to be an attachment of the thing we Mm. either resist it in our attachment or we want to grab hold of it in our attachment and that's where we create the the friction Um, and of course that's so much easier to intellectualize than it is to actualize it's a very um, lovely concept for us to talk about but the actual the the physical process of surrendering to what is Mm, and mm. allowing ourselves to sit with those really big feelings the feeling of unfairness I think I think a lot of people like you said on the sort of macro level are experiencing this feeling of unfairness at the moment we've got you know the top 12 billionaires in the world holding 50 percent of the wealth of the 50 percent of poorest people in the world we're seeing fossil fuel companies recording billions and billions in profit while the world is quite literally burning around us and so yes and particularly in australia paying zero dollars of tax as we know when that was oh it just those are the moments aren't they where you have to hold it where you have to hold it lightly like what action can i take in this moment and sometimes that action is doing nothing and it's feeling it and it's grieving it and it's feeling the rage and the injustice of it and then how do I constructively do something with that emotion on the other side but again that's such a practice and one that I don't know about you but I get wrong a lot of the time <laughs> yeah yeah but, but it, and it, it is that that word that you said in there I love surrender and I think acceptance was probably for me the most important concept in that first week of diagnosis Uh, a beautiful girlfriend of mine who's an artist and an illustrator and had been through a huge mental health crisis herself and has since subsequently written a wonderful book about it Um, that's a workbook a do book because she was in a deep dark hole basically and so she wanted to create the guidebook to get herself out of that and so she sent me this beautiful little illustration took a photo of it and sent it to me on that first day and she just said not all things have to be understood some just have to be accepted and that was my guiding mantra in those first few weeks okay and and i did i don't know how but and it's not i'm not saying it's easy but it was the most helpful thing just to go okay this is happening of course i wish it wasn't of course this is a huge life upheaval but what can i do but accept it and and work out a way going forward you know and i've subsequently learned that when fighter jet pilots have been given their training they're taught the the same principle really like if something goes wrong in the air every microsecond that you spend going was that my fault what's happening oh my gosh what have I done you're you're closer to imminent death basically (laughs) which is a really extreme example but it's kind of perfect right you can waste all this time and energy going whose fault who did it what's going on what you've just got to switch into like okay let's go this is what's happening this is the reality let's fix it Mm. um yeah so you can give yourself a bit more time because you're not hurtling through through space but i I think it's a useful idea yeah absolutely just one second while i go and strangle my dog sorry (laughs) it's like i want to be part of the podcast i've got some thoughts on surrendering actually we could all learn a lot from dogs couldn't we (laughs) oh absolutely honestly he just knows what he wants and he'll tell me when he wants it and you know what i could do with doing a bit more of that sometimes yeah 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 this is what i require in this moment hey buddy this is what we need to learn from our dogs yeah Yeah, absolutely (laughs) so here you are you're 31 you've got your diagnosis what was the next couple of years like for you what changed in your world that you weren't expecting 
So, I mean, obviously it was all pretty dramatic in the first few weeks where it was straight into IVF, um, thinking about children and did I want to make embryos or just freeze eggs or, you know, lots of rapid fire decisions. I packed up my life in Sydney. I moved home to live with my mum and dad. I was back in my childhood bedroom with fetching very wholesome animal print wallpaper that I'd selected as a very wholesome tween. Uh, I thought, oh, I didn't really think through the long-term strategy of this. <laughs> you know, straight into chemo, which of course was scary and overwhelming. And I do remember uh, it was, I started chemo a couple of days before Christmas, worst Christmas present ever. Mm. And, and just thinking, I'm, for the first time, just feeling so daunted about a new year arriving, you know, and everyone's sharing their highlights of the year and, oh, my God, best year ever next year is going to be even more amazing. And and I remember just feeling so sort of alone and scared at that time. And it was, yeah, definitely a time to tune out of social media and, uh, you know, just think, well, I just hope I'm here in a year's time, really. You know, it, it makes your, it brings everything back very much to the immediate. And, you know, I think the thing that was most surprising, obviously losing my hair was really, really tough. Um, you know, as you saw documented in the video, going through chemo, really tough. You know, you worry about the long-term impacts on your body, on your health. But I, I must say I did find so many things to feel truly grateful for during that time. Uh, and I know gratitude can get a bit of, of a bad rap, you know, people roll their eyes a bit, oh, gosh, does that really work? But it became so important to me. And, you know, there even when you're going through your worst, worst times, there is literally still hundreds of thousands of things you could feel grateful for, and I'd never really comprehended that. But, you know, even things like, oh, how lucky that I can actually go to a hospital and have this entire thing paid for in America. Number one cause of bankruptcy is healthcare. You know, how lucky that my body is actually well enough to be able to have chemotherapy. Um, how lucky that I've got people here to bring me into treatment. You know, I saw a guy one day busting himself in to to chemo by himself and you know, nearly broke my heart. I saw another man at the hospital who was, you know, in a wheelchair trying to get a taxi home. Um, a woman beside me that had started chemo who had had to start when she was seven months pregnant, you know, and so she was pregnant and having chemo and now had a newborn there with her in the hospital who had been born totally healthily um, and was doing really well. But, you know, you just think, oh, my gosh. Even, even in those low, difficult moments, I was like, I'm just so, so beyond blessed, you know. Uh, and, then, and then it was thinking about, well, what are the things, if I've got to do this anyway, you know. And so coming back to that positive, positivity piece at the beginning, I think there was definitely that balance of surrendering, accepting, feeling, um, feeling my feelings. But then, well, if I have to do this anyway, how can I make this as enjoyable or, or lighter than it would otherwise be? And so for me, uh, you know, and I was saying that's when I started wearing bright lipstick, which I still wear to this day. It just made me feel better mm -hmm. putting on some bright earrings. Uh, my friend who I know, you know, gorgeous Emily, she makes these divine, um, through Bravery Code, divine headscarves that just add colour and joy and light, you know. And we know that actually looking at bright colours does make you feel better. Like it's, it's wired into our little human brains, you know. It means sugar and food and survival. So... Uh, those things, those little things did make a massive difference. And then I think just that time to actually sit and slow down and reflect on life mm -hmm. and what I wanted to do with my precious time on earth and really think about, you know, particularly for me being a producer and a content creator, what was the work that I really wanted to spend my time and energy working on because we do get this one precious life and we're here for a fleeting moment. And there, there are some big and overwhelming things happening in the world. Um, but how can I use my my superpowers and my sharpest tool, you know, as, as a friend, my friend Sam McLean calls it, what's your sharpest tool? How can I use that to impact on the things that I really care about rather than just flitting away my time doing, you know, whatever reactive thing comes up? Mm. And what was the answer to that question when you sat with it? How can I yeah. best use my sharpest tool? Well, you know, I think initially the answer actually was, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, and that's okay, you know. I think the surprising thing for me was that it was when the chemo finished that it actually got a lot harder 
I thought that would be, we're done and dusted, we're out of here now. And 100% of cancer survivors that I've spoken to say the same, whose life's just been completely flipped upside down. You come out of this washing machine, you don't know what's an appropriate amount of time now to rest. You're still really fatigued, you feel sick, you look different. You know, I went through a breakup and it was just actually too hard basket to make some big decisions about how I was going to spend my time. So I had a lot of time thinking and journaling and ruminating but I think it was also that idea of just let yourself off the hook. You don't have to make all the decisions now, you know, allow yourself the time. And something that really resonated with me at that time was I watched uh, Michelle Obama's uh, documentary Becoming. I don't mm. know if you've seen it. Mm. I read the book. I, didn't, I, haven't read, I haven't seen the documentary. but I Yeah, the, the documentary is wonderful. I mean, you know, she's on this tour around America and she's got, you know, every city she goes to, it's like, oh, I'll just call up Oprah and Oprah will be the, you know, my interviewer there and I'll oh, Reese with a spoon here and, you know, the, like every amazing woman. Uh, and there was this great scene where one of the young girls said to her, so you've just had eight years in the White House and you've come out. How do you get your life back on track? And I remember her just saying, what track? There is no track. It's just all different now. And it takes time to figure out what that track looks like. And that is okay. And that resonated so much with me where I was at at that point. It's like, allow yourself actually the time. Uh, you don't need to put the added pressure that you've now got to be this superhuman doing, you know, living your purpose every second of your life. And, uh, you know, I've spent the last five years have been really, really challenging at times with chronic fatigue and dealing with that. Side note, um, if anyone is listening that is dealing with long COVID or chronic fatigue, sending you love, it's a really tricky, difficult thing. And please check out the lightning process. It's something I did in the last month that has totally changed my life and, and literally just healed my chronic fatigue in a few days. So that what was extraordinary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this amazing um, program created by Phil Parker in the UK and it's all about rewiring neural pathways basically. So it's all about helping to change your thought patterns mm. and beliefs to change the physiology of your body to stop, yeah. you know, cortisol, adrenals being like completely pumped out and fatigued uh, and it sounds absolutely mad, but I'd had a number of women who I really respected recommend it to me, and they said it will change your life in three days. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, yeah. sure. Magic pill. But actually, after one day, I was, I went from napping in the afternoon to going for runs. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty extraordinary. Anyway, and sorry, that was a very long-winded answer to saying, you know, once that time had passed, and I, but I think it's important to say, right? Because I, I don't want I it to sound so like, important. and then I was just, woo, I know what I want to do with my life. I didn't. I was completely all over the shop. Yeah. I remember my mum saying, so my mum sadly died of cancer. Um, oh, gosh. But, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It was about almost five years ago now. Um, no, almost six years ago now. God, time. Goodness, goodness, time, thing, doesn't it? it? Yeah. It's so odd. Um, and I remember her coming out of, chemo after her actually she, after her mastectomy and she said I thought once it was over this was before the cancer came back um once it was over I would just go back to the way that life was but you can't no you can't, you can't. go back to the way that life was it's impossible to do that and so there is this this space of real uncomfortable ambiguity where you're not really sure what the next bit looks like or even maybe who you are in the next bit, because something about totally. you has fundamentally changed. And I think that's true in lots of circumstances in life. You know, your life is going to look different after divorce. Your life is going to look different after your cancer treatment. Your life might look completely different after you start your business, or, you know, you have a child, or someone that you love leaves or dies. And, and I think as human beings, we love this idea of, of safety obviously and so the sameness equals safety to us and sometimes we do have that deep desire which is everything just needs to go back to the way it was that's not the way that life goes and again this comes back to this idea of surrender isn't it which is like and this is where my life is right now this is the season it is in right now and it might feel really foreign and I have to give myself the grace and the compassion while I feel my way through this next bit and work out what it's going to totally, look like. Totally, totally. And, and I, you know, I think even 
and I'm not saying to people they shouldn't say it, but like even the language around healing is so rushed, you know, hope, hope you're back on your feet in no time at all. Like, you know, get, get, get better soon. You know, it's all that stuff. And so I say to people now, I say happy healing, you know, like there's no time frame on it. Like just take the time you need. Um, and it is, it's like life is different now and that's okay. And, and, it, and that, you know, can be a really, I think in, in so many ways, I found it so much harder to accept that and accept dealing with something chronic and not knowing when it would end than dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Cause at least that was very clear cut. You've got a clear treatment plan. You know, you've got a plan. Mm. Whereas then when you're more into the chronic-y, we don't know-y kind of space, it can be very demoralizing because you no one can tell you when it's going to end, if it will end, how you should feel, you know, what's normal. And so I think, yeah, I think, you know, particularly in the world we're now living in with where a lot of people are dealing with long COVID, I think maybe there'll be a lot more focus and research on it, which will be a great thing because... Yeah, it is really challenging when you're in chronic pain or chronic illness. Um, yeah. And it's, to, the, it's the not having optimism. the answers, isn't it? Again, it's yeah. the not, not having the certainty. It's yes. the sense of like, well, we don't know. And, you know, who wants to live in a world of we don't know? Like, give me yeah. an answer. Was, is your chronic fatigue directly associated with the chemotherapy? Well, that's what I thought and I mean they, they sort of say to you it's pretty normal a year after to be feeling pretty blur uh you know although having said that I've had friends that were fine and like was straight back into exercise and I had a girlfriend who was like landed a massive acting job like a massive tv series and was filming sort of 12 weeks later and filmed for 12 weeks so which I felt like I couldn't have done at that time but maybe I could have you know and, and in some ways I think what was really interesting through the lightning process when I did it was it helped me to sort of identify the difference between being tired and a normal response to, okay, you've had a, a large day, it's late at night, you're tired, versus this sort of pattern that my body had gotten into, which was more just around probably protection mechanism even, you know, or taking on board the advice that I'd, you know, I'd seen a number of experts or specialists, chronic fatigue people, you know, and they tell you about pacing and resting and having, you know, nap breaks. And so I had sort of very much gotten into the mindset, oh, if I don't have my nap in the afternoon, like I'm going to be sick or if I, you know, I'm going to make myself sick again. And and doing that lightning process really helped me unpack a lot of those beliefs and, and really realize that I sort of had always thought till then that the body was in control. You know, if this flares up, you've got to listen to your body, right, and rest. I'm always telling people, listen to your body. Well, yes, to an extent, you should listen to your body. But if that body is sort of sending you warped messages because it's sort of gotten into these patterns, uh, then maybe listening to your body is not as helpful. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I cannot give advice on based on how to do that. Like it's a, it's a course that takes three days with a very experienced practitioner, but it's all based on belief and neuroscience, you know, and uh, it's, it's pretty it's pretty compelling when you look at placebo, for example, and we know that the vast majority of medicines, you know, when compared to placebo, uh, you know, it's sort of pretty hit and miss what's effective versus what's placebo. And so there's this huge body of science really that does sort of show how powerful our beliefs are. You know, if you believe something is going to help you, how much it does. And so, yeah, it's been, that's been a really interesting and delightful thing to discover and, and go through in the, in the last bit of recent time and it's made a huge huge impact on my overall well-being that's phenomenal how amazing okay the mm. lightning process i'll be checking that one out for sure yes because um, i think uh, and i think i mean the power of belief is something that i teach and live by i think it, it's so important um like what we believe we can achieve who we believe we can be i mean and we're seeing it right now in terms of you know everything that's happening sort of globally is like hope is the most important thing right without belief without belief that it can get better without belief that you know we can do something about the climate crisis then we've got nothing left like why would, you, why would you show up if you don't believe right so 100 percent sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy too isn't it oh, and I, lo I love that in um i don't know if you've re re read 
The Future We Choose by Christina Figaris, who was one of the lead uh, climate negotiators on the Paris Agreement for the UN. And she said, uh, and not only is it wrong to not have hope and to be despairing about the future, but it's also really irresponsible, <laughs> you know. Um, and I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing. I hadn't thought about it in that way before. But, you know, she said it was quite empowering when when I read that and she sort of said, we don't actually know what's going to make the difference. You know, these things don't happen in a linear fashion. It's so many people chipping away from all, you know, from business, from government, from all, you know, activism, from politics. It's it's everyone doing their bit, using their sharpest tool in every different way that they can that leads to this tsunami of, of action that we don't actually know what the tipping point is. So you've just got to, like, get in there and do it and be, you know, be hopeful and be optimistic uh, because otherwise what's the alternative? And it's the same with, you know, and I write about this in the end of my book, Em, it's like when someone gets a cancer diagnosis, we don't just go, oh, well, that's that's bad, <laughs> uh, bad luck. You know, we do everything. <laughs> yeah, that's to be you. You know, we throw everything that we've got at it. We we try everything. We, you know, and and it's the same, you know, and I think it's the same when we look at the, the health of the planet. Mm. It's too big and too important just to say, oh, well, too hard. Yeah. No. Well, there's no point me doing anything about it if the fossil fuel companies aren't doing anything about it. I've heard that one yeah. a lot recently and it, it really grinds my gears and I have to apply a lot of compassion and patience with those people because pushing them further into polarity by coming in hard with a you're wrong it doesn't yeah. help either we have to we have to meet people where they're at and educate them don't we which totally. actually really beautifully segues into the next thing that I would love to talk to you about which is about the work that you do with your video production um specifically around climate change and climate activism and I think one of the things that we talked about very briefly before we started recording was that your sharpest tool which I love I'm going to be adopting that phrase your sharpest tool is to bring entertainment and humor and interest into these really big issues which can be so big for people that they just want to put their head in the sand and it just feels safer to say uh, life there's too much going on right now I cannot even handle thinking about that I'm just going to do everything the way that I've always done it including sometimes voting for the same people that I've always voted for um, or you know having the same habits uh, using the same energy supplier the same banks whatever it might be um, and therefore not necessarily holding the heavy thing lightly but just ignoring the heavy thing completely um, so in this new world post your cancer and the subsequent treatment that you had for it you came to this place of like, okay, I am here to make a difference and I can make a difference and I want to make a difference. And so you started working with companies who are doing really great things for the planet. Tell me a little bit about how that journey went for you. Yeah, so, um, you know, we talked about the idea of using your sharpest tool, but that in conjunction with the idea that I came across um, – this organization, uh, Climate 200, um, and the founder, the convener, Simon Holmes Accord, he uses this phrase that he said, you know, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil for every one that is striking at the root. Mm. So it's like, how can you use your time, your energy, but how can you do it in a really strategic way? Mm. Because, you know, there's that idea, isn't it, that we all, we all just got to do our little bit. But I heard the phrase the other day, yeah, if we all do our little bit, it's going to add up to a little bit, Yeah, you know, and I thought that is so true. So it's a combination of what's my sharpest tool with how can I use my sharpest tool to strike at the root of an issue. And so uh, for me, you know, I, I work in the impact space with particularly in, in the climate environment world and have done for uh, the last 10 years or so. But it was this idea that sort of that I came across for the first time in the lead up to the last election that actually if we, um, our politics is pretty broken in Australia, you know, the yeah. major parties, are, you know, people's trust in in government and in politics is at record lows. Uh, and, you know, I think most people think that a lot of politicians are out there for themselves or for their party or for their big donors. And what what's happened to putting, having people in the centre of politics. And so this you know, and you, you're probably across them, the rise of this sort of community independence movement. Mm. And it seemed to me that 
you know, the idea at that time was if we could just get a few of these climate independents into the parliament at the federal level, then they could potentially hold the balance of power or at least, you know, hold the major parties to account, be able to get these issues on the agenda because they weren't at the uh, beholden to a, a major party or a major donor. And that just really resonated with me. And I thought, wow, you know, that really is, as Simon would say, striking at the root of the issue. If we can get better people in the parliament, because, you know, more and more we, we were just hearing that all these amazing initiatives out there and all these green groups and, you know, environmental organisations, philanthropists, they're doing all this great work, but it was just hitting a brick wall because the people actually with the most power to change things at a regulatory level uh, were not doing it. And so uh, as we saw at the last election, communities all around the country got behind this, you know, and we had, um, it was, I think they had in the end 11,200 donors from every single electorate in the country pitched in raised millions and millions of dollars that then got to these community independents and six ended up getting elected in the lower house to join uh, the other five that that were there. So Zali Stegel and Andrew Wilkie and Helen Haynes, Rebecca Sharkey, who are already doing wonderful work in the parliament. So um, yeah, we added six and then David Pocock in the Senate. Uh, and that was just extraordinary to see thousands and thousands of people in these communities, you know, at David Pocock's campaign at one point in Canberra, he had something like 150 new volunteers joining the campaign every week. Wow. You know, most campaigns would never even have that in the whole campaign. And yeah. so it showed people really saw that this was a solution. It was something they could do. And for me as a, uh, you know, getting to work with them in a video capacity, I was out interviewing people a lot and it was electric, the, mm. the energy in these communities and people saying, I feel hopeful for the first time in 10 years, you know, about getting action on climate and corruption. And people saying to me, this has given my life purpose. This has given meaning to my life. And it was, and we saw on election night, you know, the results came through. It was, it was an extraordinary outcome. And I think a win for democracy, a win for climate action. And, and what, I, what I've loved about this movement is really, you know, it feels like people can get political without being political because these independents really are there to represent their community, um, to listen to their community and champion what that community wants. And that's a big shift from what most people's experience of politics has been till now. I remember weeping actually um, as the results were coming in because uh, I I'll be really honest, I, I was watching sort of, you know, when you're watching something awful happen and so you kind of have your fingers in front of your eyes. So you're peeking through. You want to see, but you don't want to see. And I was so worried about the way that this election was going to go. Um, and I, I had to actually asked myself, like, what will you do if, and I don't want to get too political here, but if, if it didn't go the way that I wanted, and I know so many other people wanted it to go. And I was really proud of us. I felt so proud of Australia and very hopeful. Um, and... And yeah, I think I think hope is such an important component of yeah of creating change. Um, and so yeah, it, it I think it did it moved a lot of people and actually moved a lot of people into action, which I think has just been phenomenal to see. Yeah, it did, and and it reminds me of you know a lot of people that were involved in the movement. Uh, we started using this phrase. People were saying it feels like active hope. It's hope, but it's actually an active thing. And it reminds me of um, my friend. I don't know if you follow Eco with M on Instagram. She's an amazing uh, illustrator. You'd love her. Uh, but she brought out a book last year that was called Hope is a Verb. And it's, yeah, you can be hopeful, but it, hope is an active word. You have to be doing something. And, you know, I was working in the movement, doing video and content and uh, working on a on an influencer campaign. But for me, it was actually the volunteering that I was doing on weekends. It was the first time I'd ever gone and door knocked mm -hmm. and had a conversation with people in my community. And it was the first time I'd, you know, put a cap on that had a, you know, had my local independent on it. And and it was that was a big shift for me, even though I've been engaged in climate and really passionate about it, I had never actually gone and to that level and and that was across the board everyone i spoke to in these campaigns i've never done this before i've never been involved in politics and it was so exciting and energizing to see thousands of people all around the country for the first time going 
this is too important, you know. Mm. And and interestingly, for a lot of the people, it was the bushfires were the turning point, mm. just feeling absolute despair after yeah. those bushfires and going, what is the thing that I can do and what is the active thing that I can do? Mm. But also coming back to that, what, what strikes at the root? Well, this does. And, mm. yeah, so it was a pretty extraordinary movement to be a part of and I think it's only just going to grow and get bigger and bigger. Well, the community aspect of it, that feeling of belonging, like we belong to the common cause, I think that's something that has been missing out of politics. It, it's felt for a very long time, certainly from my perspective, that it's the thing that happens in Canberra, you know? It's the thing that other people are sort of doing over there, whereas with the rise of the teals, there's this real reclamation of like, no, this is this is our lives, actually. Yeah, and you, yeah. you work for us, actually. Let's yeah. be really honest. <laughs> Let's be very, very clear about that. And, and, and also, this is what we desire. Totally. And also just the shift in the tone. You know, I think what what really got me when I first went to hear Allegra speak, so Allegra Spend is my local member in Wentworth, I wanted to, you know, go understand what she was about, what she stood for before I got, you know, got any, involved any further. And she said, I want to bring kindness back into politics. And I nearly, my, I went with my sister and we we were tearing up listening to this. We thought, I've never heard a politician say that, you know. And actually on election day I had this most beautiful moment because I was, I was on a booth and I was handing out flyers and this older gent came up to me and he said, oh, okay, very sort of begrudgingly, tell me why I should you know, vote for your candidate. I'll entertain you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, well, like, well, firstly, I'd love to hear, you know, what do you care about? What are you, what are you voting for this election? He said, no, 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 just, just tell me why. And I said, no, no, please, I'd really, you know, love to know first. And that, you know, that is out of the Kathy McGowan book, playbook of like, you know, before you just talk at someone, like, let's have a conversation. You're a, a member, we're the member of the same community. And actually, most of us all want largely the same things, really, you know, as, as, as different and polarised as we can feel, really, as humans, we all want the same things. You know, we want to be loved, we want to be safe, we want to, you know, have a lovely place to raise our families. And, you know, and uh, anyway, we ended up having this beautiful conversation. And I told him about, you know, climate action and healthcare, and all these things. And, and then I said, but you know, the thing is, the thing that really got me is it's about bringing kindness back into politics. And he started to cry <laughs> and I started to cry. And we just had this most beautiful moment. And he said, I used to work in politics. You know, I was a, an advisor and I just, wow, I wasn't expecting to come to the, the booth today. But I think it really spoke to the, the yeah, the, just that human connection and, and moment and community, like you said. Uh, so that was a really surprising thing that happened to me on election day because I don't just cry easily, you know, like uh, I'm not n not normally. And, and there we were just having this yeah really human moment talking about these, you know, big issues, but also bringing it down to that community level. Mm. What is the sort of biggest lesson that you have learned about yourself as somebody who works in and with purpose led organisations and businesses? I mean, I I think, you know, I see, and I'm sure you'd see this in your line of work, Em, like just a lot of burnout, a lot of exhaustion, a lot of fatigue. And I think, you know, it's that, it is that thing, isn't it? Like the putting your own oxygen mask on first. You absolutely, you know, you're no good to the planet. You're no good to the world. You're no good to the issues you care about if you're exhausted, burnt out and in a heap on the ground. And so I think really for people that want to change the world, not seeing self-care and looking after yourself and, and resting and having time out as you shouldn't feel guilty about that. It's, it's actually essential to it. Uh, as I experienced when I went through chemo and recovery, I had to completely tune out from all the issues I cared about. I couldn't read the news. I didn't want to really think about climate. You know, I, I literally, when you're in survival mode, you literally, all you can do is survive. And so, yeah, that was a big takeaway in terms of that. And coming back to that phrase we talked about before, how can you hold on to heavy things lightly? And I, and I always think too, I write about it in my book, coming back to that idea of if I have to do this anyway, how can I make it lighter? And, and I use the phrase, you can't polish turd, but you can roll it in glitter. Mm. <laughs> and so where is the joy, the magic, the sparkles? How can you bring that into 
the clients you're working with, the organizations you're working with, the audiences you're trying to reach, you know, them. And, and ultimately for me, it's always been about, yeah, using humor and joy because people are stressed enough. They're overwhelmed enough. They've got a lot going on in their lives. And if for, for the change makers in the community, uh, I think not being afraid to, to stand up and step out and use your voice, but also think, how can you bring people along with you? And how can you meet people where they're at? Like you mm -hmm. said, because no one wants to be bludgeoned over the head with these issues. It's sort of boring, isn't it? And so absolutely. And if you're and if you are one of those people who's kind of got their head buried in the sand because they've got their own whatever burnout looks like for them, their own burnout going on, you know, like here, come and come and join this cause. Here's all of the terrible things that are happening. It's that's not attractive. Whereas, like you say, if you can glitter it up and bring some humor to it and some optimism around it. And bring some totally. light to it. It's a very different type of conversation. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I'm so aware of the time and I don't want to keep you for much longer, but just very quickly, can you tell me about your amazing book, Life is Tough But So Are You? Oh, yeah. So, um, I mean, basically off the back of the video going viral, a publisher reached out and said, oh, I'd love to talk to you about creating a really helpful, practical book for anyone going through any kind of tough time. And that just immediately resonated with me. And actually in January, I'm going to be bringing out a companion journal to go with it. This is, this is it actually here for listeners that, uh, I'm just showing M the book. It's, it's a bright teal, funnily enough, uh, book by, confirm, by total coincidence. Can confirm it looks excellent. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Mm. Thank you. So that'll be out in January. And because for me, journaling was, my savior during chemo. I, I journaled every day religiously. I did a thing, a practice known as the uh, morning pages where you yep. just get up and get you up write and what's on your head. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I was up because uh, when you're going through chemo, the drugs really keep you awake. So it was a really, you know, it felt like I'd kicked off a goal every morning. And so I wanted to create a beautiful little journal that had helpful ideas and thoughts and quotes in it, but then just space for you to write and get, get what's in your head out. Um, because I think the thing about journaling is we think sometimes that, oh, if I write down these things, I'm, I'm a bad person. I'm having all these terrible thoughts. But no, actually, they're just a cloud of thoughts. They're just your thoughts. They're not you. Yeah. And it's about clearing some space, um, you know, spiritual windshield wipers, just get it out, uh, put it down. And for me, that was really transformative and probably what led to me then writing a book because I felt like I reconnected with my love of writing. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, that's coming out in January, the journal, and I'm really excited to get that out into the world. Beautiful. I mean, I could talk to you forever. Can I just say that? But um, I am very aware of the time. So we will wrap up our conversation there. But Bryony, thank you so much. I have so many takeaways from today's conversation. I'm absolutely um, in awe of your attitude to life. I just think it's so, 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 so glorious. So thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you, Em. I've loved our chat. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for this lovely conversation. It's been so lovely to connect and sit and yeah, really, you know, admire the work that you're doing in the world. It's thank really you. important and, and impactful. Thanks, Bryony. I don't know about you, but I am fangirling hard over Bryony right now. What a legend. You can jump into the show notes of this episode to find links to Bryony's Instagram and also to buy her book, Life is Tough But So Are You, and the accompanying journal, which has just been released and I cannot wait to get my hands on. Thank you very much for listening. If you have loved this episode, please do share it with the people that you love. Make sure that you tag me and Bryony in any social media shares. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you.